This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, teachers were finding creative ways to integrate technology into their classrooms. And these days, remote learning has meant students as young as kindergarten are doing much more of their writing via keyboard rather than pen and pencil. For the rest of us, being able to type plays a huge role in our productivity, so it's easy to forget just how important learning and practicing handwriting is. It seems quaint and outdated, but research shows that handwriting is important in helping young students to read and spell. Writing by hand has also been shown to help students generate more ideas and retain more information. For example, think of college students taking notes in class. It turns out people can type a lot faster than they can handwrite, which you would think would be an advantage because they can take down more notes. Uh, and in a way it is because taking down more notes has all sorts of advantages. But when people take notes by laptop, they can take verbatim notes. You can listen to what I'm saying and take down word for word what I'm saying. Whereas when people are writing by hand, they can't do that. They write too slowly. So what you're forced to do instead is think about what's being said and pull out the most important information. In order to do that, you have to understand the information. You have to rephrase it in your own words. You have to evaluate the information. And all of those things, all of that processing of the information helps you remember it. That's Dr. Danny Oppenheimer, professor of decision sciences at Carnegie Mellon University. Oppenheimer says note-taking and handwriting in general involve so much more than just pen meeting paper. If you think about note-taking, it's a remarkable activity. The fact that people can do it is just incredible. You're having to do all that processing. More information's coming in. If you don't process it quickly enough, it's gone. So you don't have a record of it. And if you're taking notes, it makes it even harder because you have to figure out not just what words I'm saying, but what words you want to say to convey the meaning that you care about. And you have to send motor movements down to your fingers to do very precise motor movements. All of this is happening instantaneously. We're not even consciously aware most of the time that we're doing it. So there's a ton of stuff going on at any given moment that we just you know, take for granted. So what does all of that processing actually look like on an MRI? Dr. Virginia Wise-Berninger is a professor emerita at the University of Washington. She and her team have studied the brain images of elementary age students who were being taught new letters. This is a region called left fusiform gyrus. It's on the left side of the brain, but where it's located is where input from the occipital lobe, which is where the input goes from our eyes for visual stimuli and then up to the occipital lobes, but then it moves into the temporal lobes where language processing occurs. So there's this left fusiform region where visual input first becomes visible language. And it's involved not only in writing, but also in reading. So that's where we found the difference. So that coupled with our earlier behavioral studies convinced us that handwriting is not just a motor act. 
Sounds complicated, but the long and short of it is that printing, cursive writing, and typing are all associated with different and separate brain patterns. When the students were asked to write by hand, they consistently produced more words more quickly than they did on the keyboard. They also expressed new ideas. And even more surprising, the results have to do with cursive writing. Lo and behold, the cursive handwriting was the best predictor of spelling and rate of composing, what's called compositional fluency, much better than the manuscript handwriting, the printing. And this is grades four through seven and much better than the typing. So we thought some about this and then we went, aha, this makes sense because with cursive writing, each of the letters has a link that links the letter to the next letter in the word, has connecting strokes. This helps children integrate all the letters in a word so they have a word unit, a spelled word. That's especially true for grade schoolers. Berninger's studies show that the older a student gets, the more value they get from typing. She suspects that has to do with a more mature brain, especially what are called fiber tracks, which have to do with motor and sensory signals. As we looked at our data, because we were following these children, grades four, five, six, and seven, we realized that beginning grades six to seven, there was a greater contribution of typing to different writing skills than we had observed earlier, even though the cursive was still making more of a contribution for spelling and composing. Both Berninger and Oppenheimer say that the positives about handwriting are clear. But obviously, computers aren't going away. They're a valuable educational tool, too. I think there's some creative things, and I certainly hope as we go back to in-person learning that instruction will cover both handwriting, manuscript and cursive, and use of computers. And I want to emphasize computer tools. There's not only keyboard, but a number of our studies involved the stylus on the pad of an iPad and how to use a mouse, that kind of thing. Whether we're at home or we're in the classroom, the, the kids are going to need both. They're going to have to know how to use pens and pencils to do handwriting, but also how to use not only keyboards, but other computer tools. Oppenheimer says that it's more about the type of thinking a student is doing rather than the specific motor movements they're using. A lot of people are surprised to learn that I require laptops in my classroom, given that I'm one of the people who has shown that laptops can have a deleterious effect on learning. But I don't let my students use the laptops all the time. Every single lesson that I give them is designed sometimes to use laptops because laptops are better and sometimes not for the places where laptops are worse. There's no easy, simple solution where it's just X is better. Anytime you use a different tool, it naturally is going to change the way you think. It's going to affect the way you process information, sometimes just because it speeds you up or slows you down, sometimes because it forces you to organize information differently. But the thing is, is there's a zillion online tools. All of them are different. All of them have different affordances. And it really, it's going to take a lot of deliberative thought to develop lessons and educational plans to take advantage of that and make sure that the students are learning the way we want them to. 
You can find more information about Dr. Danny Oppenheimer, Dr. Virginia Wise Berninger, and all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. For more behind the scenes, follow Radio Health Journal on Facebook, Instagram, and X. This segment originally aired April 2021 and was written by Libby Foster. Our lead producer is Kristen Farah. Our production manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Greg Johnson. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. When we have these ideas lodged deeply in our heads of what a genius looks like or that it doesn't look like a young woman, then we end up with those great problems. Recognizing the women who've advanced science throughout history. But first, why do some patients have to fight to get a diagnosis? There's a certain population that completely dismisses what is coming out of a patient and or a parent's mouth if they don't hold that coveted medical degree. All that and more on Radio Health Journal. I'm Elizabeth Westfield, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. We know the research shows that there's increased loneliness across basically all age levels. A child or a teen may have straight A's, but that doesn't mean they're set for success. Then, whether it's an exam or negotiating in a high stakes meeting or a cross country race, you can't just sort of go in there and wing it and hope for the best. We speak with a high profile performance psychologist on what it takes to be your very best. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we break down the science stories you need to know. You can find all of our past segments and guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and X for daily content. And tune in next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.